He's coming home. He's coming home. He's coming. Football's coming home. <laughs> the Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa. Hello, I'm Baker Rothers outside Wembley and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. That's it, that's all we've got on today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa, a proud sponsor of UEFA Women's Euro 2022. Visa knows competition is at its best when everyone truly has a chance to take part. Whether it's a player competing on a world stage or a small business taking control of their economic future, Visa recognises that we'll only see the best of all of us when everyone participates. Their technology and tools help entrepreneurs turn small ideas into big businesses, wherever they are. Find out more at theguardian.com slash all hyphen win. I'm only joking, that's not all we've got on today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly, but we have made it to our hotel room come podcasting studio. We have voices, kind of, I think. But after 56 years and one day of hurt, Sunday the 31st of July 2022 is the day that football came home again. In 1921, the FA banned women from playing on football league grounds. The game of football is quite unsuitable for females and ought not to be encouraged, they said. Well, tonight, Leah Williamson became the first England captain since Bobby Moore to guide this country to glory. And what an absolute delight it was to be part of it. And what an absolute delight to be in, I never thought I'd say this, a Premier Inn bedroom with three of my favourite podding people, two of whom are lying on the bed with microphones in front of them. And one is drinking a can of pop, shall we say. Um, Susie Rack, how are you doing? Fabulous. Is that Absolutely it? fabulous. Well... I can't really think anymore or feel or, yeah, this can of Ribena is going down really, really nicely. Yeah, just absolutely magic. Magic. Johnny Lou, listen, you've taken your shoes off to lie on that bed with Susie Rack. I'm impressed with you. I like your domestication. These are freshly laundered shoes. I don't want to to trample all over them. Somebody might even have to have a sleep here tonight. (laughs) Salon, I am wearing, I'll give you your full title. Salon Andy Hickman. (laughs) I'm wearing your Lotta Wubamoy away lionesses kit. I'm absolutely loving it. How are you feeling? I don't know if I have the words or the voice to communicate that, but I'm going to absolutely try my best for the next hour. It's going already. Oh no, that doesn't bode well. (laughs) I think if I talk like kind of on an in-breath, it's okay. But I've got extra strong strep sores in the bag, so we're So good. you were one of the lucky ones because me, Susie and Johnny had to witness that, but working at the same time. So you don't fully get that release or moment to think about it. But you were there in the crowd as a fan. What was it like? <sighs> For a lot of it, incredibly tense, like incredibly tense. I think when we scored, you thought 
this was it. You thought, like, I, I sat there and thought, we don't concede and we will, even if we were to concede, there's a chance. But then when we did concede, it felt like, geez, we might not actually do this. And I think that was potentially when we're going into extra time was a sense of this might not end in the way that we all want it to end. But I kind of had like an acceptance of that. Like whatever happens, it's great. But what, oh my God, I think probably some of the most joyous occasions of my entire life. I said this morning when I woke up, I tweeted being like, it's so weird knowing that this could be the best day of my entire life. And you don't know whether that's true or not. And then when the Chloe Kelly toe poke went in, I was with some of my best friends, people I've worked in football with for the last five, six years. And we were just crying and screaming and jumping on each other and holding each other. And it was, yeah, it was something I will never, ever forget, but also kind of weirdly, it's difficult to recall right now because it was so intense at the time, but I'm sure there are videos, so I look forward to watching those tomorrow. Well, that is kind of how it feels when football finally comes home. And, you know, people jest about that phrase. But when everybody was singing it at Wembley, I got the full-on goosebumps. I cry. I mean, it's not the first time I've cried in the last two days. I'm not going to lie. I've had quite a quite an emotional little roller coaster going on. And actually, whether or not you were watching on the telly, listening on the radio, or one of the lucky 90-odd thousand inside... Wembley, it has been the most incredible. I'm going to use the word. I'm going to bingo it myself. Journey, journey, seminal moment. Pitchhack her out of the room. <laughs> I, I want to bring seminal moment back. I'm saying that that tonight was a. I was going to say fucking seminal moment, but it really was. <laughs> Sorry, but my god. So I actually celebrated. I've got an egg on my head. <laughs> Because I celebrated so badly, I smashed my headphones into my head and I've got a lump. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we've never experienced this before, but let's get some reaction from the Twitter sphere, shall we? As if we should ever take anything from the Twitter sphere as red. But, you know, some of these people are pretty important. Uh, David Badil, home. In fact, it's come home. A sentence I thought I'd never write. I've gone. Thank you, Lionesses. Harry Kane, absolutely unreal scenes at Wembley. Massive congrats to the amazing Lionesses. Ella Toon, take a bow for that finish as well. I mean, we will go into that in a sec. Gary Lineker, football is a simple game. 22 women chase a ball for 90 minutes. And at the end, England actually win. Well done, <laughs> Gary Lineker. Very clever. Congratulations, Lionesses. Fabulous. Uh, so Jeff Hurst, European champions, unbelievably proud. And the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, sensational and incredible win, Lionesses. And the whole nation couldn't be prouder of you all. Wonderful to see history in the making tonight at Wembley. Congratulations. I don't even know how to put this into words. Salon has tried, Susie. How do you do it? With great difficulty which considering I have to put words on paper is not ideal really like I really struggled with the emotions of that game in the lead up to it I saw Sue Campbell and Kelly Simmons and you know people from the FA who have worked very hard for this this morning and we were all absolute wrecks um, I bawled my eyes out at full time properly sobbing into my hands hadn't filed my copy yet was not helpful situation <laughs> and you know, I followed this team for a very long time now and some of those players 
you know, I followed from when they were like quite young, you know, Leah Williamson, I'm an Arsenal fan. So before I was a journalist, I was watching her as a teenager for Arsenal and then see her lift the trophy at Wembley, major tournament final. I've been in mixed zones where Ellen White has been sobbing her eyes out. She was the first person to come through the mixed zone last summer at the Olympics in Tokyo after scoring the hat-trick and then losing 4-3 to Australia to be knocked out. And, you know, was absolutely heartbroken, red-faced, like tears streaming down her face still. And she came and spoke to us for a good five or so minutes and articulated that heartbreak really well. And it's just incredibly emotional to see them not (laughs) have those tear-stained faces in quite the same way. A little bit tear-stained, but, you know in a much much nicer way so yeah I'm very 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 happy and feeling very very emotional partly as well because it means that you know the growth of women's football journalism will grow too (laughs) um it will increase um you know when the team grows and does well the demand for coverage grows and so it's huge for our industry too yeah, I can hear the fans outside as well, still celebrating. And when we were walking to record the pod, me, Susie and Salon met up outside Box Park and just gave each other the most enormous hugs. And then we came down to meet Johnny Lou outside, who was waiting with his arms out wide <laughs> for all the hugs, as well as producer Lucy and producer Chessie. And, you know, the fans outside were incredible. Those guys that we spoke to right at the top were absolutely buzzing, still outside, enjoying it. And actually in the tunnel... Leah Williamson. So after she'd done her interview with me and I was the only one left in the tunnel and Leah came out to do her final interview, which was a sit down around the corner. And she just looked at me and holding the trophy and she just went, can you believe this, Faye? I can't believe this. I went, I can't believe it, Leah. She went, I don't think I'm ever going to believe this. And just walked (laughs) off like literally. uh, Yeah. I mean, it just gives me the goosebumps all over again. And I did tell her that at the start of the interview. You've had me in tears twice in the last two days. Goosebumps now, for goodness sake. Um, Goosebumps for you, Johnny Lou. How have you processed it? Tremendously emotional day. And, you know, having covered, you know, all all different kinds of sports events, you know, from like the London Olympics to Ryder Cups and, and, and Ashes and... Champions League finals. This is this is up there, honestly. No, not just for what it was and how it felt, but what it means. And this is a win that, that belongs to everyone. Obviously, it's it's the nation, and they're representing us. But I, I think it belongs most of all to you know to people like Susie and, and Salon and and the people who have been on this journey right from the start and who have kind of slogged their guts out. Going to set me off again. <laughs> for, honestly, for years and years, you know, trying to to get this game to a, a level and to an audience, to a platform that it deserved. And, you know, having having 87,000 fans at, at Wembley to watch that, it would have been unthinkable a few years ago. And it, it, it means so much to so many people. And and they could have won this in, in 2005 and 2009 or 2013. And it, it wouldn't quite have had the same impact to have this happen right now when, you know, the, the women's game is thriving, when, when the top players are getting paid properly, when... There is a market out there for women's football and for them to do this now, it's just so important. So I'm really pleased, but I'm, I'm more pleased for, for the people who, who have, have really earned this. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's so many, aren't there? They're absolutely incredible. I mean, I bumped into Kelly Smith and saw Baroness Sue Campbell gave her a big hug as I was leaving as well. And I don't think she's quite, it's quite sunk in for her yet either. And that's really important. 
But we've got to talk about the game itself. I mean, I kind of don't care. <laughs> we've won. I don't really want to analyse it. And Salon, you said to me as we kind of walked in, don't even ask me tactically to analyse this game. Because that's what happens when you like none of the 90 minutes and then the extra 30 minutes actually matter. But let's start at the beginning because everybody was really confused right at the beginning of the match. Alexandra Pop, who we've talked about, Poppy, as Kaz Carney calls her, the big threat for Germany. She's level on goals with Beth Mead uh, for the golden boot. The biggest threat for the Germans. She's out there warming up. She even takes part in the team photo. And then we get the news filtering through that she's got a hamstring injury in the warm up, and that's it. She's out. I mean, what kind of impact did that have on the team, Johnny? The way that Germany played, you would think probably probably not so much. I mean, emotionally, they, they seemed to deal with it pretty well. Pop herself looked utterly distraught on, on the bench and you, know, you, you really had to feel for her. But as, as the game went on, there were moments, opportunities, crosses in the box, loose balls where you just felt if Pop had been there, that could have been a, a really different story. And, you know, it's, it's, it's probably not the polite or, or appropriate thing to say so, but it, it might have been the, the point at which... You know, you start to think, well, maybe it's not Germany's afternoon to lose somebody like, like you know, someone as talismatic as Pop. And, you know, I guess it's a final kind of injury misfortune for her in this tournament after after everything she's done here. But, you know, to have that happen to you just minutes before the start of the game, I mean, I, I, it, it's got to affect you. And it's to Germany's credit, I think, that they managed to carry out their plan so well, mm. you know, having having been through that kind of that blow. Yeah, it was it was huge. And actually, um, you spoke there, Susie, about Ellen White coming out in Tokyo to speak to everybody. And Alexandra Pop came out having not played one minute of football and spoke to about six or seven outlets in post-match, which is just incredible. And that's she class. she looked it's, it is that's exactly the word, Johnny, class. Um and I felt so gutted for her, but she clearly processed it professional and just, you know, went and did her job, um, which was which was amazing particularly after her journey with the Euros as well. Yeah. What, 120-ish caps? Yeah. And this is her first Euros. She's missed a whole bunch through injury. And then to finally be in this tournament, to be in with a chance of the golden boot, to have, you know, played your socks off, totally made up for lost time, and then to go out moments before taking a penalty in the warm-up, apparently it was, she said in the interview to rule her out of the game cruel. I mean it's just devastating isn't it it's real real tough stuff yeah really is cruel um, I'll tell you what wasn't cruel the booing of the referee in the first half <laughs> that wasn't cruel in the slightest because she was bloody awful <laughs> I'm so sorry I know we're supposed to you know look at it from a balanced point of view but what was going on Salon she was the female Mike Dean she was, <laughs> she was the, the, the female Mike Dean she literally was like I don't know. I was trying to put myself in her shoes a little bit and I was thinking like the occasion is huge and you're so conscious of how you're behaving and what decisions you're making. It almost felt like she was too inexperienced that she felt like if she missed stuff, she would get under more pressure. So she called everything and she she, she wasn't even playing like the simple advantages. Like little tugs would happen or stuff. Balls would be played team in possession would have the ball and be able to be in quite a good position to keep going and she'd blow it and she'd then give like a this weird yellow card I think there was two yellow cards for England in a very quick succession yeah Ellen White and Georgia Stanway in the first half which Mm. neither of which to me obviously I've only watched it in live time I haven't watched it back 
appeared as if they were yellow card offences. But they weren't. The, the thing is, she should have given two yellow cards to the Germans for worse tackles than the two yellow cards that she gave to... Oberdorf could have been, could have been sent off after, oh, after easily. 40 minutes. I felt yeah. like she could have been sent off in the last game as well. We just, no, one, no one really looked at it either. But yeah, I think for her, it was an absolute shocker and there was so much rage amongst the people I was sitting around uh, directed at that referee because it was a really poor performance and it felt almost like... I turned around and said to my mates who I, who I play with, and I said to them, don't you think this is the most women's football thing ever? We've had an exceptional tournament. We have played football to the highest standard. We've had brilliant officiating. We get to the final and the game's going to be ruined by a shit ref. Because yeah. that's what it feels like sometimes in women's football. Like, why do we get the shit refs? And I was like, what's going on here? If this is the reason why we don't do very well in this game, I was like, it can't be. It just can't be. So I was... Oh, and, and that's not on her, by the way. That's on UEFA yeah. for for appointing someone to, to that game. Who they've who, got who, Stephanie Frappard, right? right. Like, and yeah. I, I assume they kind of they made the appointments before the semi-finals. Uh, that, that's the, that's the only explanation. Two good opportunities for for Ellen White, Susie, and and in the first half, it felt as if it was perhaps going to be one of those days where we'd been calling, or some people I hadn't, um, and I know you hadn't either, called for Alessia Russo to start. That perhaps that might have been the the option. I mean, look how tired Alessia Russo was by the end of that game, oh, even yeah. by the end of the 90 minutes. I mean, could she have started the game and hung on for 120? I seriously doubt it. She was absolutely wiped. Ellen has been struggling to score clearly in the, you know, kind of knockout stage of this competition, but she plays a role um, and she's got big game experience and luckily those misses didn't prove too costly in the end but I still would you know be completely behind the decision to start her I think it was completely right Russo has been most successful off the bench running up tired legs if anything I mean obviously her and Ella Toon helped change the game a little bit inject some energy they got the first goal but it bringing them on in the was it the 58th minute or whatever it was, was a little bit earlier than um, than Serena has in previous games. And I did wonder whether it was a little bit too early even because I think maybe it lost a little bit of the effectiveness at, at running at people. I think that was in reaction to Martina Vostecklenburg's changes at half time because that really invigorated the Germans, Johnny. That It seemed as if England had the best of the first half, but at the start of the second half, the Germans were on top. Yeah, there was a there was a period between between forty five minutes and and the goal, I guess the England goal, where Germany looked well on top, which it has, has not been the way. I mean, England have generally started the second half very strongly in this tournament. I mean, just on Russo, I think that there's this growing trend in in football, which is I think is only going to become more apparent when now now we have five subs that the idea of having your starting eleven. And a fixed starting eleven, and having impact substitutes whose role is to to play sort of thirty, forty minutes, and and that to be their kind of defined role. I think that's going to become more of a trend in the game, where yeah, you already see it in, in things like rugby union, where you know that they replace the the whole front row after after fifty minutes, and you have starters and finishers. And England have have, have really used that like brilliantly. White starts, Russo comes on, and you know the tone and the feel changes. Um, and and they can prepare for those roles. They can physically condition for them. So um, you know that, that that's kind of a trend in the modern game that I think is going to continue. Yeah, I agree with you. And that, that super sub tag, 
you know, every player wants to start a game, but equally, if you know you can come on, it's how you finish it at the end of the day, isn't it? And those super subs came into their own, uh, Susie, the opening goal from Ella Toon, that ball from Kira Walsh. For, it was just beautiful, wasn't it? I mean, for me, and I uh, preempted everything and started writing my, um, like, writer's review stuff for, for the paper. Um, Why would you do that? <laughs> we don't need to file till Monday. And uh, I picked uh, Kira Walsh as my player of the tournament, I think. Um, and I, I was thinking, well, you know, it, her and Lena Oberdorf are sort of vying for that prize and we'll see how I feel, you know, come come the, the full-time whistle at, at Wembley. But um, yeah, I mean, I think she's been absolutely phenomenal. And I remember in 2019 at the World Cup, she... Uh, Johnny's just desperately trying to very, very quietly. Johnny's got in for the baby baby bell. bell. He's just creeped across the room. (laughs) And I'm like, how are you going to open that quietly? Some some beautiful background noise. Um, (laughs) I did not think that. I did not think that. Don't forget to take the wax off. I nearly did. Yeah, so um, I remember 2019, she... didn't have the best tournament in the world but going into that tournament she was very much like a first name on the team sheet for me so important to to England had a fantastic season at Man City and then had a really bad tournament I remember some of the journalists that hadn't really covered England that much or hadn't covered the Women's Super League in the press boxes in 2019 going who is this player why is she in even in this team she's terrible and I was going no she is fantastic something is not right here and then I interviewed her a few months after the tournament and she said you know she thought about quitting football the negativity really got to her she really struggled with the pressure of that tournament but she was finally sort of you know kind of had a lot of talks with a psychologist had learned to process it um was handling things a lot better had refound her love of football i mean you've seen it in this tournament she's you've seen why i thought she's first name on team sheet back there you see why nick cushing the former man city manager said she's the best player he's ever worked with mm-hmm. she is just so incredibly good at picking out the pass that no one else sees and yeah I mean you saw it for that goal and then what what a finish I mean Ella Toon calm as anything I thought the moment had gone I thought she'd taken a touch too many at first and then uh and then she does that. Well, the angle that I was at, I thought it was going slightly wide and it felt as if the ball hung in the air for mm. an agonisingly <laughs> long amount of time. I also had my eyes on Beth Mead, who just come off on the far side and she was limping around and then stood there, watched Delatoon one-on-one with the keeper. You're right there, Salon. <laughs> <laughs> you listen, we're all in the same room. None of these, we can't isolate mics. Every little bit comes up. Producer Lucy just said it was okay after the first, <laughs> and then it was like. <laughs> uh, can I can I just say, as the only uh, professional person uh, in this room right now, I'm not drinking beer uh, because you can't. Just, I literally, take one. I can't. I'm, I can't drink beer. I, I I can't drink it. I'm allergic to gluten. What about that rum on the way over, Faye? Oh, yeah, I might have had a rum on the way over, maybe. Um, <laughs> but Beth Mead was coming off, and she was watching Ella Toon one on one. Stopped and then she went to celebrate, started running and realised she was injured. So stopped (laughs) and started limping back behind the goal and then like gave me like a come on as she walked past me and then was trying to galvanise the the crowd because I thought the crowd were Mm. quite quiet at times. 
Oh, definitely. But I also want a little petition to rename a chip to a scoop. Ella Toon, she scooped the ball. It was like there was no chip there. It was like she literally put her foot under it and scooped it over the goalkeeper. So is it weird that all I'm thinking about is chocolate chip cookies? Ice cream. <laughs> and ice cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think when um, when Frank Kirby chipped the keeper in the semi-final, which was a chip, that was like a chip. Lots of we were more the little doodle being like, do you want some ketchup with that? Today's one is, do you want a flake with that? It's a very important distinction. I mean, oh. not, not to get all football cliches about this, but the difference between a chip and a scoop is, is the spin. A chip has backspin. A scoop has dip on it. Not to kind of extend the confectionery metaphor, but a, 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 a scoop has 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 as dip on it, which is which is what got the ball under mm. the crossbar, and it, it actually it hit the net on the full, if I remember rightly, which is is it's just perfect. It was beautiful. I, I watched it from behind the goal. It was it was lush. Right, we've literally only talked about one goal in this entire first part. <laughs> I mean, we could be here all night. Let's very quickly think about how we all felt when that equaliser went in 10 minutes from time. How did you feel, Salon, in, in the crowd? Because it just seemed to almost deflate the bubble. Yeah, it was quite, it was quite a deafening goal. It felt like it just completely silenced us. And... I always look to the reaction on the pitch when we can see something like that. I think it felt more sad because you looked at the, the players and they looked really deflated with it. I felt there was kind of a, I think one or two of them were trying to G each other up, but it really looked like we were so close and we've just screwed it up there. But when they were traveling with the ball, I can't remember, the Germany winger, I was like, I literally said to the person next to me, this is it. This is a goal. And we just looked so out of position and so cool and it felt like it was coming. And to be fair, Germany deserved something in that game. They made that incredibly difficult for us. So if they hadn't have scored a goal, it probably wouldn't have felt fair on them. But in the yeah, the mood of the crowd at that point was incredibly deflated. But I also think when the final whistle went, there was a sense of we have been here before. We have been at one all at full time and we can come back from this so yeah definitely a dullness but also a sense of like we've just got to sit and ride this out and something will come here for us I think I felt like it was written in the stars that it was going to penalties I'm not going to lie I really did I don't know how anyone else thought about that I felt quite relaxed about it I mean maybe how? that's the Serena Wiegmann effect <laughs> honestly no on, honestly it's because Maybe it's because I haven't like lived the history of this team in the way that a lot of other people have. But I, I don't know. I just have so much faith in, well, in Wiegmann, but also in this group of players. Mm. And, and I think a lot of people who have been conditioned to watch the England men's team think, well, this is this is just going to be the same old story. But this is this is not, you know, I, I was looking around and I saw, you know, a lot of the players were distraught afterwards. Yeah, they were kind of, but I saw Williamson. She just adjusted her socks and walked back to the centre circle. I think, okay. I think I think they've got this. Yeah. And this this team are not fated to live this if if we've learned anything here, is they're not they're not fated to 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 live the same history as the men's team. They're they're different people and, and this is a different ethos and this is a different feel. You know, I I I look at the pitch, I don't see Steven Gerrard on there. I don't see Joe Hart. This is something totally different. I actually think that's really important and it's it's so easy to immediately compare the Lionesses to the England men's team, which you know, I think we all do it naturally because it's England, because we all support England, but they are not the same. And this is what I have been so taken by throughout this tournament is that there is something about this England team 
And women's football in general, you could probably extract it to that is subversive. Like today was England, Germany at Wembley in a final for something that really mattered. The script is written for us to lose and to lose on penalties. And it, what happened tonight was the England women subverted it. This tournament has been like the depiction of subversion. Like I was in a pub in Baker Street this afternoon before the game and any other pub on a cup final day for a, a European final at Wembley and it was just predominantly women and non-binary people just with drinks, being nice to each other, having fun. And you kind of, if you walk down the street, you'd be like, oh, England shirts, you can hear a bit of it's coming home in chants. And you think, I expect to see a lot of white middle-aged men singing that chant. Same thing happened on a coach. I took 30 girls to the semi-final. I had 30 black girls singing It's Coming Home on a coach and took videos of it. And I had people message me being like, that was so weird. Like that was incredibly weird to see and feel that in an international tournament was all these black girls taking up space and singing and going mental for It's Coming Home when you expect it to be like middle-aged white men, right? And I think that's... Not not this... even a war song? Not not any... any <laughs> no, no 10 I German didn't... bombers in this house. We oh do God. not do that. That's like, not it was such thing. a joy not to hear that song today. <laughs> oh, no, but that's no. what the beauty of this thing is. It's like you create your own space. You take up your own space. You literally find your peoples and you make the space what you want the space to be. And everyone who's been working in and around this game has been, we want this space to be fun, joyful, supportive and inclusive and that is what we will create and that is what you saw tonight and it's represented on the pitch when they're like screw the narrative, we don't want the narrative, we're going to do our own thing and I think that's exactly what Johnny was saying about it not being, they're not the same thing, they're a different thing and we have to respect that and we have to channel that and it's on the duty of us all now in the women's game to make sure we retain that and we don't lose that as things get bigger. That was beautiful and that was what my my head said but now you've all like very nicely said why you all felt so calm. I'm going to tell you why I didn't feel calm after the Germany goal. I just, I felt like um, with Russo, Toon and Kelly already on the pitch and like them having been on the pitch for a little bit of time and Germany were really in the ascendancy at that point, we didn't really have any more options off the bench. Um, you know, Nikita Paris has barely played or hasn't played at Beth all. England. Uh, Beth England mm -hmm. hasn't played. If you're looking for more game changers, there's not really many there that have been tried and tested in this tournament. So that was the thing that made me feel nervous after that, that Germany goal was the fact that the game changers had come on, changed the game, got us that first goal and then Germany had scored and we didn't really have anything else left well, Chloe Kelly, Chloe Kelly, Kelly Topoke. <laughs> Chloe Kelly had something left. <laughs> Chloe Kelly Topoke. Do, you know, do you know what's the funniest thing about this goal? What I, actually, I actually said this to Chloe Kelly in the tunnel afterwards because I'm sure if my producer was rolling over me, he'd have just had me screaming because of all the yellow cards and the ridiculous refereeing. My first instinct, as celebrating that goal, getting the egg on my head from my headphones. I was then going, don't take your shirt off. Don't take your shirt off. And I was screaming at her. I was like, that's the last thing I want you to do is get a yellow card did and she? then get sent off. Did yeah. she take her shirt off? She did. She got yellow cards. Oh, so oh long God. she got booked. Oh, so long. Booked, but I didn't know what for. It was, the, bra it was the Brandy Chastain moment. Yeah. Talk about seminal moment. That is it. <laughs> and all the girls were talking in the changing room about it. She literally took it off. 
whipped her shirt around her head and went to celebrate with the substitutes. And actually... You may see the picture tomorrow morning. I was you, it's going to be Is plastered. it our Brandy Chastain photo? Brandy Chastain. Brandy Chastain no, said, no. I see you, Chloe Kelly 98. Well done. Enjoy the free <laughs> rounds of pints and dinners for the rest of your life from all of England. Cheers. I've never seen you like that, Salon. Is your head okay? I just swapped my head. I have a pair to neck. Oh my God. She's that just is seen it. Unbelievable. So I, she also, I, she said it was totally that instinctive that she did not think about it at all. She just did it. At that moment, I was, what was screaming. What and was crying. funny, she started to take it off. She thought about it and she went, I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a painting in my living room of Brandy Chastain. In that pose, like wow. I have that painted. My friend painted it for me. Gonna need an update. That's why I need painting <laughs> next. That please how put upset, it on a canvas. Get it on my wall. Would your friend be if you got out some chalk or some coloring pencils <laughs> and tried? To I was with him tonight. Own. I was with him tonight, and I'm probably gonna be with him after this. You, so you're Jack, gonna get. You're gonna get Jack, a tattoo with me. You've got a new painting to do, please. <laughs> oh my god, there's so many people getting tattoos. You, you get. You're gonna get one with me. I'm getting a tattoo. I'm getting a tattoo. I don't know what yet. I will not. I am not a tattoo person and I will not be getting I've already got a lion tattooed on my back and everyone thinks it's a bit like England nationalist. I'm like, no, no, no. That's just, there's there's other reasons for it. But tonight I've fully got it out. Like, I already love them. (laughs) Got the lion already tattooed on my back. Oh, and and shout out to Emma Sanders at the BBC who said at the start that if England win, she's going to get a tattoo of Serena Wiegmann drinking a pint, (laughs) Um, which I then then told to Serena who said she doesn't drink beer. (laughs) She doesn't like it, but she likes likes rum and she likes Bacardi. And we asked her what she was on tonight and she said it was the Bacardi. Um, oh, that's a girl after my own heart. As if I couldn't love Serena Wiegmann anymore. I'm going to get her tattooed, Faye. I'm going to get her. I'm not getting a tattoo. <laughs> not a chance. Wow. Do you actually want one? It's not, not that I'm semi- open to suggestions of what I should. I will get one. I always get a tattoo. I, I think what we're going to do after. Not that tournament. much of a seminal moment, though, if you won't get a tattoo, is it, Faye? <laughs> oh, I don't bow to peer pressure, Susie Rack. Um, but I do think we should get all of the press pack who promised tattoos and got them to like stand there and show them <laughs> off at somewhere. It depends where they are, I suppose, on, on, on the body. Um, but I mean, the, the reaction when the final whistle blew, there was some crazy shithousery going on in the corner, as, as you saw right in front of you, uh, Salon. But Lucy Bronze was slipping and sliding in the confetti. I did see a load of snow angels being made in the ticker tape, which was just delightful. Uh, Leah was crying, went over. I saw her hugging her mum. Millie Bright leading the walk around the stadium as well. Just Wembley was incredible. We could continue talking about this forever, but I can see... Bearing in mind they're right in front of me, both of my producers glaring at me as if to say, we have talked about this for a long time now. Move on, please. So that is everything in part one. In part two, we'll be back to talk a bit more about what exactly this historic win means. But we are going to take a breather for a minute and leave it to a very special guest to round off this bit of the pod. Hello, uh, Max Russian here from the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Keeping my voice down because four-month-old Ian Rushton is in the next room that was pretty amazing. And actually, I, I wrote a piece in the paper this week, and we talked about it on Football Weekly, about how I didn't perhaps get as nervous or as as anxious when the women are playing as when the men are playing. And whether that made me like a massive sexist or it's just I don't have a history with this team and this team have never let me down. Turns out that article was bullshit and uh, I was wrong because... I was absolutely terrified. Wedding them were one nil up. 
after Germany equalised, winning them with 2-1 up, those agonising weights, that brilliant eight minutes of keeping the ball in the corner, so many brilliant performances uh, of which your panel will explain much better than I would. And for the second time this weekend, I started crying. Um, the first, obviously, being the last ever episode of Neighbours. And I do have a history with Neighbours. And I don't have a massive history with this England women's team, but they were brilliant. It was such a brilliant moment. And, um, yeah, I I was thoroughly moved. And I didn't know what to do when uh, England lifted a major trophy. I didn't know what to do watching a final BBC montage of England winning. And um, uh, it was just utterly brilliant. Um, back to Holy Faker Others, thanks. Today's podcast is supported by Visa, a proud sponsor of UEFA Women's Euro 2022. But Visa are not only backing the highest levels of the women's game, they're also working around the world to help women and girls play football, whatever their age or ability. Today, we're joined by Nazime, who took part in a football camp supported by Visa in Turkey. Thanks so much for joining me, Nazime. Uh, that camp that you were part of just sounded absolutely amazing. Can you tell us a bit about what happened on the day? Firstly, it was an unbelievable experience for all of us. And uh, we just went to the camp and do some activities about football and also talk about gender equality for football. As part of that camp as well, you got to meet and, and talk to some of the players from the Turkish national team, I understand. What was that like? We learned about their lives, their stories, and it's, it was all uh, like inspirational for young girls to hear. So it gives us a motivation to go on that road. And how inspiring was that for you? I learned so many things about not giving up. And it makes me to go on that road and say, like, nothing can stop you. Just finally, what is your ultimate dream in football? Like, I want to uh, study law, so I would uh, go on that road and uh, study uh, sport law and also be a national player of Turkey and also prove that the uh, girls can do everything they want and nothing can stop us. Absolutely. It sounds to me like you can do everything. Uh, Nazime, thank you for sharing your experiences with us. We look forward to seeing you at Wembley at the end of July. Thank you. I'm so thankful for all of you. Now on with the show. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Um, we've all taken a bit of a breath and a couple more swigs. Uh, a couple more tweets for you as well. Enia Luko, since 1966, it's come home for women's football in UK. We salute you. The dream's come true. The dream is here. Congratulations. Unbelievably proud. Casey Stoney as well, European champions. Just let that sink in. Crying with so much pride right now. Thank you, Lionesses. You've changed the game forever. And Gabby Logan's sign-off on television, which it, this is the first time I've seen this, if I'm honest. And I mean, pretty amazing. The Lionesses have brought football home. Now it's up to us to keep it here. They think it's all over. It's only just begun. And that actually echoes what 
Captain Liam Williamson was saying in a press conference, Susie, the other day. And that is what is so important. What, what exactly is this win? It's a big question. I'm not going to lie. What What is this win going to mean for women's football? You set me off already in that press conference. <laughs> um, I, I was like, oh God, I'm going to have to ask a question. I've had my hands up and now I can't even see through my eyes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's huge. And I don't I don't think there was a loss today. Like, even if they had lost, they've done so much. They've put on such a show to get to this point. Everyone's attention's on it. We're even saying that, you know, there is something very powerful about collective mourning as well. And with a World Cup only a year away um, and so much promise in this team that I don't think a lot of momentum would have been lost by loss. But a win, you just thought that's just going to be like astronomically bigger and that's what made me find it so difficult before kickoff to hold down tears and nerves and all of that kind of stuff careful Kenny Shields will be after you (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm getting a little bit over emotional um I need to like stamp on my ovaries or something like that (laughs) 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 but yeah I mean it's extremely significant and Neil Williamson put it very well like the impact of the fact that it's a women's team that brought it home after all of those years it's the impact on the dads and the mums watching that more than the little kids in a way that are just going to be so much more open to their kids playing football will be signing the the little girls playing football will be signing them up to the local team I don't think we're fully going to really realise it until a few years down the line. But um, yeah, it's really started something quite special. Yeah, it, it it really has. And does it feel like the start of something special, Johnny? Because Serena Wiegmann only took over 10 months ago, which is incredible when you think about it. Got the World Cup coming up next year. And, and it does feel like the beginning for this squad. For, for this squad, certainly, it, it can be a new beginning for for the, the sport in this country, but it it does need a lot more. Mm. And this is this is why I can't stand this this word inspiration, <laughs> which has been has been used so many times. It's uh, it's probably on a whiteboard in the dressing room still that the FA have put on there. I'm it, not going to lie. <laughs> it is such a, a wishy washy, almost kind of dishonest mm. uh, way of describing um, sporting legacy. And you know, you saw it at the London Olympics that this idea that change in sport systemic change can be imposed from the top down by this exemplary thing at the top that everyone is just so so enthralled by what what this team have achieved was not achieved through inspiration it wasn't achieved through like seeing something on the television and going oh i'd quite like to do that it was through investment facilities you know chloe kelly doesn't doesn't score that goal and she's not in that team unless she's experienced and benefited from you know, high-class coaching. And put the, the work in herself. And put the work in. And, and the very best in, in, in sports science and opportunities, you know, that, that take her from, you know, Arsenal trials to QPR to Manchester City, that having that pathway in place, grease their palms with silver. This is not about, you know, creating something brilliant and, oh, you know, the, the next generation will work it out for themselves. It needs investment. It needs investment in grassroots football, in academies and in, in, in charities like, 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 like Football Beyond Borders, what Salon works with, working with young girls. It, it has to come from the bottom up. Otherwise, this whole opportunity is, is, is going to be lost because you, you, can't, you can't impose change in sport from, from the top down. Yeah, 
I, I mean, I, I don't even know how to how to react off the back of that because it's absolutely bang on. And for every cliche end of television, you know, thing, it, it's actually, as Wrighty said before, we have to drive it. We have to force these people to make sure that the investment is coming and it's not just a bandwagon jump that's brief. It's followed all the way through. And you'll see that firsthand, Salon, as well. And how do we even go about doing that? I think first and foremost, the FA deserve their credit. They deserve their flowers right now because they set out to win this tournament with that team and they pumped the investment in that meant every single player who played tonight or scored tonight has been able to be professional and that is a, a huge step change from some of the Linus legends we just bumped into it, right? They never had that. They never had the the possibility that they could be full-time professionals and really just contribute to their success and the team's success. And I think what for me was so important about tonight and the fact that if we lost, it would have been such a, a devastating thing was that the win, and this is, you know, unfortunate that it takes a win we have to be successful to do it but the Overton window shifts slightly it means that the realm of possibility for women is different now every cab driver shopkeeper you know PE teacher everyone you've ever met who said maybe made a quip I'm usually a man that women don't do this now think women do do this because they've seen it and they've and it's something that's so celebrated across the world and I think I was crying so much at the final whistle because I was like this isn't just a win in 120 minutes misogyny exists in society in really micro ways like you get in a cab and you say you play football or you work in football and they go oh I don't really like women's football because I don't really do much and you're like that's bullshit like and I will show you that that's bullshit but my word doesn't count for as much as what tonight just counted for so you kind of push instances of misogyny to the side of society and actually you become the guy that goes if you do say oh women really don't they're not very good at football then suddenly it's like well you're the outcast because we all enjoyed tonight we all watched that together and we all celebrated that together there is also inherent properties of football in terms of what it does for girls as teenagers if you're a girl and you play football statistically you're more confident than any other girl who plays any other team sport that is a fact that came out in like 2012 I think the UEFA survey looked at team sports across the country, across the world if you play football as a girl you're more confident than a girl who plays another team sport that is unlocking something about people if we have now a generation of girls coming through and thinking I can play football therefore I am I take up space and I belong much more than I maybe thought I did if I didn't play football. That will send shockwaves through society and allow women to completely take up space. And I think that for me is like why the win was so important tonight. Take up space. I mean, even when we're having to talk about that, it it it, it angers me so much. And I sent around to, to the team that I've been working with throughout the tournament, the quotes that Leah Williamson made yesterday in the match day minus one. And I'll just really briefly talk about them because... They were really important, I think. I don't think, I know. 
I've only ever been involved in this workplace in football, but I think in most workplaces across the world, women still have a few more battles to face and to try and overcome. I think that for every success that we make, for every change of judgment or perception or opening the eyes of somebody who views women as somebody with the potential to be equal to her male counterpart, I think that makes change in society. It's a powerful message that we have the power to in a typically male-dominated environment. The strides that we take forward can impact everybody on that wider scale. I mean, she's 25 years old. That's terrifying to me in the first place that she's even coming out with that. But to me, I sat there and I thought, God, I wish when I was in my late teens, early 20s, that I thought that that was possible. And I know it sounds really silly and it sounds really cliched and it's something that we've kind of talked about going up, but it's so much more important than that. And, you know, I... I have worked in misogynistic environments for the majority of my career and it shouldn't take something like this. And there will still be people who, you know, question women's place, if you like, in any way, shape or form. But hopefully this gives other people an opportunity to to rally against that. We've gone very deep, haven't we, already? Let's talk about Serena Veekman's <laughs> Optostat, shall we? Gear change. <laughs> 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 All 12 of her matches in charge at the UEFA Women's European Championship with her sides, as in England and the Netherlands, scoring 35 goals and conceding just five in the process. I mean, we don't really need that much love for Serena Wiegmann in this pod than we've already given her, Susie, but what a champion. She's incredible and she's incredibly likeable as well, which is, it makes it extra nice to cover her and to be in her press conferences and to chat with her afterwards. She's so to the point and the team are so behind what she's done to them I think there's a clarity there that was completely shot under Phil Neville you know there was a real confusion I think amongst the squad as to what what they were doing and what the plan was there wasn't I don't think really a plan and she just brought this calmness this clarity and created a team right where you've got Alessia Russo feeling confident and brave enough in her first major tournament to flick a back heel towards goal that goes in I mean that speaks to the attitudes that she's managed to sort of embed through the team in such a short space of time as well I was saying pre-tournament that I don't think we'll see a Serena Wiegmann England team until next summer like she's only had less than a year in charge and, you know, has been sort of working with the pre-existing parts. And I think this tournament will do so much to tell her about this squad and about these players and about the character of them and, you know, about the way they play in a way that she hasn't had yet because they've not really played much competitive football. Yes, World Cup qualifiers, but they've been, you know, relatively straightforward, easy games. Yes, I think actually next summer is when we're going to really see exactly what a Serena Wiegmann England side looks like and that is incredibly exciting and it's great to have someone that has such an understanding of football in charge of the team which makes a big difference. So many people don't know anything about her. Mm. You and I have been really lucky that we've sat down and interviewed her and she's actually got a really wicked sense of humour and is fantastic. Great fun but you don't hear that in interviews. Mm. Anybody that's heard her interviews, I say to her after, like I've said this to her on a number of occasions in this tournament, you need a cricket bat. You should play cricket (laughs) for the amount of defensive uh, (laughs) shots you play at me. But uh, she is 
someone who is meticulous in her preparation. Mm. You sat down with her the other day and she was telling you about yoga, meditation and how important that is in her life. But she's just a very grounded individual, isn't she? Yeah, she's just brilliant. (laughs) There's no no other word for it. I mean, she's brilliant. And I've run out of ways to... I, I can Talk give about I can give a little bit more insight because she's got two teenage daughters. Mm. So I think that's quite important to to know. And when I was six months pregnant with, with my little boy, Ted, who I didn't know was a little boy called Ted at the time, obviously, uh, we were talking. Uh, so it was back last September. We walked down from when she was unveiled to everybody. We walked down the stairs and we walked into the tunnel at Wembley before she did that kind of iconic manager arriving at Wembley walk out, you know, Uh, press moment and she was just asking me you know oh what are you going to do with work how are you going to juggle things and she just wanted to know about me as a person and what it was going to be like for me working as a mum in in this industry and then telling me about what it was like for her and how she did it and she'd said to me because I think she's very similar in lots of ways to, to Gareth Southgate in terms of people management they're both empathetic people people and she said that to me. She said, I don't know how else to describe it, but I am a, pe- I am a people person. But she said, I'm a people people. <laughs> <laughs> I've remembered where my train of thought was going, actually. She was, um, so basically, she, I've forgotten it You've forgotten it again. <laughs> oh, oh, I've got it, 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 I've got it. I've got it. a long month. So she really, really wants the team to have fun and enjoy it. And it's because she reflects on her career and thinks that she didn't enjoy it and every moment as much as maybe she should have should have at the time and she really regrets that and so it's really really important for her that her teams are having a lot of fun are enjoying the moment are living in the moment are playing for each game but you know for each you know fixture and for the next game as they have been in this tournament but are really also in the moment at the same time and enjoying it and that's kind of nice right like she she looks at her career and is trying to shape the way these players look at their career in a very different way. It feels so obvious to me that the thing that football has been forgetting or has forgotten till this point, until very, very recently, if you want to get the best out of a group of people, make them feel loved, make them feel supported, make them feel valued and really focus on that as a manager. Jurgen Klopp, Gareth Southgate, Serena Wiegmann are all exemplary examples of how you do that with a group of people. And it just feels like if you're not doing that, you can have the, like football is concentrated for how ever long on getting the best tacticians, the best physicality, all these kind of things that the, the, the small margins. But for me, it's like, because there's something that's been so maybe masculine about football, which has been like emotion doesn't matter or the people to people thing doesn't matter. That it's kind of re- disregarded that. And now the the 1%, the 2%, the 3% are all being found in the relational, emotional support and, and development and that prioritization. It feels so stupid that managers aren't doing that now. It's like, that's how you get results. Have, have your background staff, have your backroom staff who do the technicality stuff, but then just be a leader who like gets the best out of people by making them feel loved. And that's what Serena's done. And le- leadership's all about communication and everybody knowing what their role is. It's so simple but so many people uh, get it wrong Johnny I, I, what does this even mean because I don't really know how anybody goes back to, to to normal life we've not had to do this as a nation for an entire generation but what's this going to mean for these players 
it's the sort of thing they'll they'll bond over, I think, and they will meet each other in five years' time, ten years' time, twenty, fifty years' time. There will be kind of commemorations and anniversary celebrations. This thing will be kind of packaged up as as nostalgia, and people will you know share their memories of of where they were and and what they were feeling at at this time. And it's the sort of thing that they will be able to recognize each other across a crowded room and know that they shared this thing together and whatever else they achieve or whatever else they go on to do nobody will ever be able to take that away from them it's it's this incredible thing that they've done and they did it together and they did it by playing for each other and by totally submitting to this team and the, and, and the collective and and doing it for something larger and I think, you know, quite apart from whatever, you know, brand endorsements or new contracts they get out of this or fame or a, a place on Celebrity Bake Off or, <laughs> or Sports Personality of the Year or whatever, that stuff is ephemeral. That stuff will, will come and go. What's the portrait one? Because Lotta Woover Moy is, is an ace for winning that. <laughs> oh, she? yeah, yeah. The, the Sky One thing. Yeah. Of the year. Yeah. Sure, yeah, she'd she'd be great at that, to be fair. But, you know, once that stuff goes, the the memories and the the, the friendships and the experience and the you kind know, of the shared journey sorry sorry <laughs> well that's what 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 will endure and i i envy them that honestly because people who have who have been involved in professional sport say that that is the very best thing about it do you think we'll all meet up in 20 years time and bond <laughs> over this podcast so. recording in moment in the same in the in same a hotel room <laughs> with with Grays and Harry Bow and Tinnies please please oh amazing Susie that I mean there's still going to be a lot of people listening who perhaps haven't followed women's football before what do they do next when does the WSL start how do they kind of carry on this momentum because we have a responsibility as as football fans, not just women's football fans, football fans, to, to make sure that people are going to these games and, and growing it. You say that like I have looked beyond this moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's the second week of uh, September that the um, Women's Super League gets underway. I think it's the 10th and 11th, maybe. I might be getting that wrong You're off the top of my head. Um, but it is, it, is that, it is that weekend. Um, there's also um, Champions League qualifying before then when you've got Man City up against Real Madrid, which is a lovely little matchup um, to try and get a spot in the group stage of the tournament. What's brilliant about next season with the Super League is obviously you've got all these <laughs> European champions going into their club teams that you can go and watch but also a lot of the big European stars from other countries as well are playing in the Women's Super League now so there's you know real like nice chance to go and see some of these players that people have bonded with throughout this tournament in the flesh in what is a really like friendly environment where all the players like spend ages after games like signing autographs for kids and taking photos and things like that it's a real like interactive league really in a really wonderful way and now you know COVID restrictions are gone there's a lot more of that being brought back which is nice and the great thing is is that clubs are also starting to take advantage of um, the momentum of this tournament of announced series of games in the major stadiums and fields Liverpool women are playing at, um, Chelsea are playing their opening fixture at Stamford Bridge, 
Arsenal have announced six games at the Emirates across the course of the season, starting off with the first North London derby. And, you know, most of them are like working towards games in the big men's stadiums, which everyone knows. Everyone knows where they are, how they get there. And it's about integrating women's football into people's routines, I think. It's a great league to watch. It's really competitive. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully there's you know, a lot of work put into marketing the league in the build-up to the start of the new season off the back of this big win, but not just in, you know, a nice shiny social media campaign and things like that. But I'd like to see clubs in particular going into their local communities in a much more meaningful way and really like working to bring the community into those games and to see these players and to watch these teams. Because I don't think any club in England really gets that right. And you look at, say, Angel City in the US, which had sold 16,000 season tickets before they even launched the team. Like, And part of that is because they have done loads and loads of community work. They've really gone in and built a fan base before there's anything to be a fan of. Mm. So if they can do that, why can't we get huge numbers of fans who are wedded to their Premier League teams or Championship teams or you know, whichever is tied uh, to the women's teams in the Women's Super League uh, along to those games. There is a way to do that and they're not succeeding. But also below the Women's Super League, there's a whole range of fantastic teams all the way down to the National League. And they shouldn't are, be forgotten. They should not be forgotten. And they Sunday's are 21st awesome. of August, guys. Dulwich Hamlet's first home game of the There season. we go. And you can go and see Salon play. Um <laughs> And yeah, I mean, they are like fantastic teams to watch with with players with great stories. Uh, you know, the same stories that many of these players had when they were starting out. And yeah, real sort of great lower league football that is often actually quite local. Yeah. This is on you. And, and I mean you as in like the person listening to this podcast. Susie's been doing this stuff for years. Faye's been doing this, like pre- presenting like the women's football podcast for, for years. Ceylon's been doing this stuff for years. This is on you, walking your dog, driving your car, like, you know, in the gym, whatever. If you like this stuff, there is more of this stuff out there and you will like it. Like go and support, you know, go and support your local team. Go and tell people about it. That's what true legacy is. I think as well, like the women's game is a space where you can fully make it what you want it to be and like if you've always felt a sense of not really belonging in football or professional sport the women's game is a space that will welcome you with open arms and allow you to define your own relationship to it and it might be that you just come to one game every now and then and enjoy the vibe but it also might be that you find your community and you find your people and actually it's the sport that you've never really seen an interest in or thought that's something for me, but suddenly you found this group of people that feel like these are my people and these are, these are the people that will make me feel like me. And I think that is what so many people who've come to women's football have thought I can belong here and I can exist here and I can thrive here. And this is where I want to be for the, yeah, every weekend or every weeknight, whatever it is, you can find that in your own space and define your own own relationship to it. And no one's going to tell you that you're not good enough or that you're not the right sort of person for this space, which is sometimes what you can feel in other sports. So yeah, I'd say to the listener, go and find your local space or your online community, whatever it be, but you will find it and you will be welcomed with open arms. I loved Leah Williamson's post-match interview as well. I don't know if you saw it. Like, it's, she was it's pumped. Best, 
It's best <laughs> if you watch it without the sound and don't actually listen to it. And it's like the angriest thing. You think, wow, God, she's lost um, because it's just like furious. But she, then you listen to it and she is saying, get to the Women's Super League. This is a team of winners. You get to come and see these winners get into those grounds. And it was just it just oozed like passion but also like demands like and I think that's what this win is going to do for these players as well like they've won something now like they they feel like they can demand more and they they, they've got this great bargaining chip now they're winners Mm. like they've got something and I think that's going to be a little bit of a game changer as well that's a perfect way to end it I think and I've absolutely loved our little Premier in <laughs> podcast record <laughs> set up studio. It's been wonderful from the mini baby bells to the Doritos to the pop. <laughs> tinnies, Faye. You can call them tinnies. Tinnies, salon. It's been for the entire month an absolute pleasure, mate. Oh, I just, I'm just going to go and cry for another month. In a corner, you'll find Salon Hickman rocking. Johnny Lou. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Always. I just, I'm just watching you. And I took a photo of you when we first came in lounging on the bed. And I don't think I'm ever going to get that image out of my head. <laughs> and now, nor will our listeners. <laughs> See you, Rack. I mean, I, I just, all the plaudits and everything wonderful to you. Are you going to bed? Because I'm not going to bed. <laughs> Probably not. We've got this thing to do at Trafalgar Square next we're still not even finished we might as well head there now why not let's just pack (laughs) let's just get a tent on the way thank you for sharing it with us as well for all the messages that you've sent us in your support on this pod we've really had a blast bringing you this very very special series talking about a very very special tournament and we hope that we will speak to you again very very soon everybody although not me because I still don't like it go back to listening to Sweet Caroline on repeat The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver and Jesse Parker Humphreys with additional help from Silas Gray and George Cooper. Music composition was by Laura Iredale and our executive producers are Chessie Bent, Danielle Stevens and Max Sons. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa.